0: Welcome to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We hope to encourage you with sermons, stories, and interviews that will challenge you to grow in your faith. Enjoy. That's one of my favorites. That comes right out of uh, Isaiah, the ninth chapter a Prophecy About Christ coming into the world. But this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2 perhaps the most classic passage that concerns Christmas. Before we get to that, though, let's pray and ask God's continued blessing on our time being together today. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, I do just that. Thank you for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for the opportunity to sing praises to you. But God, I want to thank you for your Word, which is a light to our path, which helps us know you. And I also want to thank you for the season, for the for the opportunities created simply because people are a little more open than normal to think about you, I, I pray that you give us opportunities. You give us uh, courage to seize those opportunities, and that you better prepare us uh, for those opportunities as a result of being in your Word together today. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Uh, one of the classic one of the classic films this uh, season of the year is. Uh, got to be, at least in my mind, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, where James Stewart plays a guy by the name of George Bailey. George Bailey has this opportunity to see what life would have been like if he had never been born. I think it's an interesting uh, plot line to be able to see the difference that you make in this world, and it just got me to thinking before we jump into the Christmas story even though this is a little bit on the dark side, even though this is a little bit difficult to do, maybe we'd be better prepared to hear the wonderful news that, first of all, we took just a few minutes to think about what it would have been like if Jesus never existed. What would it have been like if He didn't come into our world? What, if it, what would it be like if, if there were no God, right? Because of this uh, uh, class, I have the opportunity to teach this next year uh, it's on Christian evidences and proofs for the existence of God. And because of that, I have read more atheistic writers than I'd ever care to read in my life. But I I really want to know what the arguments are. I really want to know what, what, what people are saying who don't believe in God. And I'm not just talking about people who are atheists. I'm talking about people who are trying to promote atheism, who are trying to argue the fact that they're is no God. And I'm going to tell you there are two things that are kind of surprising to me that come up time and time again. First of all, it's the despair. And secondly, it's the determinism. Can I explain both of those? First of all, the despair. And and, and, and you, you might be thinking, well, I've thought this through enough to realize, yeah, without God there's no hope. Of course there's going to be some despair. But I'm talking about the people who are trying to promote atheism. Because on the surface, a lot of times, uh, people, people want to promote this idea that, hey, you, you don't have to pay attention to Ten Commandments. You don't have to pay attention to right and wrong, what any church says or anything. There is no God. You're totally free. You can live whatever way you want to live. Uh, you know, you hear that on the surface, and you think to yourself, okay, there might be an appeal to that, right? Some certain amount of freedom. But the people who really promote atheism are pretty honest about the fact that, yeah, there's no standards, but if, but if there's nothing wrong, there's also nothing right. Right, you do away with the bad, you also do away with the good. There's utter meaninglessness in, in life. In fact, it, the, the, the quickest way I could summarize this is you have no real identity, right, because there's nothing special about you. You're just an accident of, of chemistry that happens somewhere along the line. There's no identity, there's no destiny, and there's no purpose in between. There's just this void and emptiness, and I know, I mean, I've read a lot of this stuff but that, that, that a lot of people will say, oh, no, you're set free because you can make your purpose in life whatever you want it to be, right? You're just, you're just totally free to, to make your own purpose in life, but would you think with me for just a second, if you promote this idea that you're free to make your own purpose in life and your own meaning in life, you have just admitted that there's no real meaning or purpose in life. Otherwise, how could you be free to set up one and somebody else free to set up another one? And it's all okay. You can have your purpose. You can have your purpose. You can have your purpose. The only reason you can promote an idea like that is because you understand there's no real purpose. Does that make sense? Listen, I, I, I don't want to bore you with this, but I do want you to get a real solid taste of this. There's a guy, Camus, maybe you had to read that when you are in college, uh, The uh, famous atheistic philosopher. He boiled it down and said, there's only one real question as far as the meaning of life goes, and that's this. Suicide. Suicide. In other words, why put up with the agony? Why put up with the despair? Why put up with the meaninglessness? Why, why continue to exist? That, that's, that's kind of what it boils down to, well, the, the, the despair thing, I, I'm telling you, it comes out especially in moments of honesty. This is what it leads to because there's nothing to life, right? But then the determinism, this one surprises me a little bit more, and I don't have a whole lot of time to explain this, but I'm going to do my best. What I mean by determinism is people who really promote the idea that there is no God firmly believe that you have no free will, all life is determined because if you get rid of the spiritual realm, all that is left is that which is physical. And that which is physical is simply evolving and it's moving in a direction that's been predetermined since the beginning. It's all been developing the, the atoms at a, at a molecular level and a, a chemistry level. So, so, so whatever happens is just this stage of the evolutionary chain that has been happening for eons so when that person says, I love you, or you utter those words to somebody else, I love you, don't look for anything more than just a chemical reaction due to the atoms that are in their head and your head. That's it. That's the way it is. That's the way it would have been. Whether you like it or not, you've got no choice in the matter. Well, I had wish I had more time to explain this. I just want you to realize that there's no free will, it's all predetermined and it's hopelessly predetermined. Right? You get despair and you get this determinism. Okay, okay, let, let me give you an illustration to maybe epitomize all this. And, and it's an old one, for, forgive me for this, but I thought it was just one of the best illustrations of what I'm trying to talk about. Do you remember a guy named Woody Allen? Do any of you guys remember Woody Allen? Back in the 80s, he was kind of a big movie maker and stuff like that, a director, he'd star in a lot of his own movies and stuff like that. Back when he was cranking out a lot of movies, he was interviewed, and one of the things he said in, in, in this interview was the fact that, I'm not trying to make any big statements with any of my movies. I'm really not. He says, I'm just trying to throw myself into something so I don't sit at my bed at home and think about the total meaninglessness of life. Right? There was nothing for him to live for, so he might as well throw himself into something, right? Well, he had this movie in the 1980s. It was called Play It Again, Sam. And he was one of the characters, one of the star characters. And he meets this beautiful woman in, in a museum, and he wants to approach her. He wants to ask her out, right? Well, she's looking at this, at this modern art painting... And as she's looking at this painting, she's kind of lost in, in the observation, and he comes up to her and, and just kind of stands next to her, pretends like he's looking at the painting too, and, and he asks her, hey, what do, you, what do you see in this painting? And she says something very dark like, the purposelessness of life, the meaninglessness of existence, the total despair and chaos that is the universe in existence. And he just stands there, kind of nods his head, mm, yeah. Uh, what are you doing Saturday? That's his next line to which she says, committing suicide. He kind of nods his head and he says, well, how about Friday? (laughs) That's it. Man, in a nutshell, that that hits the nail on the head. There's absolutely nothing to life than despair. It's all over on Saturday, so uh, what are we going to do on Friday? Do do you sense this emptiness? Well, Listen, uh, we, we've done this thought experiment long enough as if he had not existed. He, he does exist, and he came into our world, and that's what we're celebrating this time of year. And, and I beg your forgiveness if you were expecting evidences this morning. Boy, I could spend a lot of time. There are a lot of evidences and a lot of proof, but where I really want to go instead of the proof for the fact that he really exists is the impact, what it means to you and me because it does make all the difference that he came into this world. And so we're going to look at the classic passage, Luke chapter 2, because in Luke chapter 2, God himself, through an angel, through a messenger, tells us the significance and the difference of what it means that there is a God, and he's come into our world, and the impact that he has had. Luke chapter 2, let's go ahead and start in verse 1, because this is where you got to start. right? This is the Christmas story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger in a feeding trough because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I imagine so. Probably the last thing they expected to see that night. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Haven't even gotten to it yet, but do you see how he sets this up? This is the news that makes all the difference in humanity's existence. This is the good stuff because today, verse 11, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Messiah, the Lord. Would you just hang on those three thoughts with me? He's a Savior, He's the Messiah, and He's the Lord. The, the Savior, the Savior, okay, First John chapter 3, He came to destroy the works of our opponent, of of. The devil of Satan, the one who stands against us, right? He doesn't just take care of the one who opposes us. He also takes care of the need that you and I have deep within us. You know, in Romans, the second chapter, it says, God has placed something within you and me that testifies to Him. Because deep down, all of us have, uh, this is not a biblical phrase, but the way I like to think of it is a moral compass. We know deep down certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And when we go against that moral compass, we feel it, right? In fact, over in John the 16th chapter, it's around verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, it says that the Spirit, God's Spirit, doesn't just, there the Bible tells us in other places, God's Spirit will indwell us, right? When you become a Christian, when you're baptized into Christ, one of the things you receive is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But the God's Spirit also works on all humanity. It's there. John, the 16th chapter, you know what it says? He convicts the world. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. He goes ahead and explains that, but in a nutshell, you know it when you've done wrong, and you know you have to give an account for that. That's why a lot of people, too many people, don't want to admit this. But I sure hope what people say in public, they at least admit to in private, and that's this, we all, we all know that there have been things in our life that if we could replay the tape, we'd do it differently. We messed up, we missed an opportunity, or we did something we shouldn't have done. And sometimes it's darker than, than other times, right? But we all know that's there, and we need a Savior. And that's one of the basic things that God's telling us, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of that. But then after the angel mentions he's a Savior, he says he's the Messiah, the the Christ. Oh, boy, this would take months just to unpack that, right? Because that phrase is a very special phrase. It's a very special title. It simply means the anointed one, and it talks about this special prophet, priest, and king who's going to come from God. In fact, Isaiah, the ninth chapter that we started off with with the bumper video up here, It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. Oh, that means a lot, but let's go ahead. He says, the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This sounds like, this sounds like he's more than just somebody special, this sounds like he's God, doesn't it? Everlasting Father, right? Right? Well, you go back to chapter 7 in the book of Isaiah. In chapter 7, it says God's special one that He's going to send into this world. Here's a sign. Here's how you know He's going to be the special one from God. He's going to be born of a virgin. Okay, let's just get this all out on the table here. The virgin birth, He claims to be God. He claims to be more than human. You know what? God makes, makes a bunch of outrageous claims Please, maybe you don't, but sometimes I sense that Christians want to back away from the outrageous claims, right? Let's just talk about, man, he's a good preacher. Man, he taught some wonderful things. He he did wonderful things and helped people out. Yes, he did all that, and he was a great teacher. But don't ever shy away from the outrageous claims. The fact that he was born of a virgin, which does not happen. The fact that he conquered death and came back to life, which does not happen. That is the point. The point is he does what does not happen because if you don't have somebody who cannot do what doesn't happen in this world, then you can't explain this world. There's nothing in the observable universe that is a sufficient cause for the observable universe. You have to have something above and beyond, right? And God was proving That's who he is. That's who Jesus is, the one who transcends what we see in this life. That's why we've got miracles to prove that he's not just a great man, but that he's God. Because to take care to save us and to take care of the issues that need to be taken care of, we need an answer that's greater than this world. Well, I hope that makes sense because I got to move on. He's the Savior, He's the Messiah, He's the Lord the Lord. You could also translate that king. So many times he's called Lord, but that also means king. In fact, when Jesus was standing before Pilate and Pilate was cross-examining him, he didn't say much, but one of the few things he did say when he was asked, are you king? His answer was yes, for this very reason I was born. Okay, okay, again, there's too much to say here, but I want to I drip some water on this. Why is that significant? I'll tell you why. Because when you're on the battlefield of life and you're about to die, you need more than somebody to come and do CPR. You don't need just somebody to save you. Okay, you're not going to die now and go off and leave you, right? There. No, you know what you need? You need to understand who you are. You need identity. You need to know where you're going. You need a destiny, and you need a purpose or a meaning to life. Listen, He's not just our Savior, He's our King. You know what that means? As the King, He doesn't just defeat our enemies. He doesn't just save us. He rules. What does that mean? There are standards. There is a way to live life. And He explains that to us. Man, every, everything about the Christmas story just points beyond this world. And we've got to have something beyond this world. or this world is oh, in trouble. Back in 1914, the early stages of World War I, something dramatic happened on Christmas Eve. I don't know if you remember reading about this in history class, if anybody's ever told you. But one of the things that I think is important to understand is the major way they fought in World War I was called trench warfare, do you remember that? They would have an area, they call it no man's land. And on either side of No Man's Land, they dig these deep trenches. And the idea was everybody would stay in your trench. And if everybody, anybody from the opposing army came out in no man's land, they're a sitting duck. Right? They're out there, they're an easy target. The only way you were able to really make an advance is you were gonna lose a lot of soldiers. Because even if you bombed them, even if even if you did so many things, and 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 the air support in World War I was minimal, right? But if you were gonna make much of an advance against the other army. Even if there was only a dozen of the opposing soldiers left, guess what? You advance your soldiers, you're out there in no man's land, they're sitting in a trench. They'll just take you off one by one. So the only way you made advancements, you lost a lot of men because you had to have such momentum that you could send a mass of troops and get over to the other side as quickly as you can. I'm just trying to say it was, it was, it was a scary thing, this trench warfare. But on Christmas Eve, 1914, when the sun went down, there were less and less shots until finally there was silence. And then in the deafening silence, somebody could hear a British soldier sing, silent night, holy night, all is calm. And as he sang, a couple of his fellow British soldiers sang with him. And then the most uncanny thing happened. They heard German voices in German tongue singing along with them just a few hundred yards away from the other trench. Thinking it a fluke, they went on to their next song, Oh Little Town in Bethlehem. And guess what? They sang right along. And then they went to another hymn until finally one of the soldiers, in Honestly, I don't remember which side it was, but one of them poked their head up out of the trench. You never did that. Why? Because by any means, they're going to try to get you to poke your head up out of the trench so they can pick you off. But as they're singing these Christmas carols, nobody picked them off, and another head poked up, and another head poked up. They literally, you can look this up, they literally laid their guns down, walked out in the middle of no man's land, shared tea, and sang Christmas carols. Their superior officers were furious when they heard what happened. But it happened. What went on? I, that's all I know. But what a picture of something that's bigger and what we fight about, bigger than what the world wars about. It transcends this world. And it does. Without it, you really don't know who you are other than just an accident. There's nothing to live for beyond this life, and there's no reason to actually live. But because he lived. We know who we are, created in the image of God to have a relationship with God. And we know where we're going, a place of fellowship beyond your wildest dreams where we get to know our Maker. And we know why we're here, to get to know Him and help other people know Him too. And that's the very thing I'd like you to think about when you come to the table of why Jesus came into this world to do something that couldn't happen in this world. Die a death, that actually brought us back to God. Would you bow, would you pray when you're ready, would you come to the tables? thanks again for tuning in to the Brevard Christian Church Podcast. We pray you are encouraged and blessed. And until next time, grace and peace to you.